Let me get you to say something real quickly so I can get a mic check on you. Tell me your name. Kevin Yeager. Um, I'm sitting here in my man cave about to uh, have a nice discussion with Charlie as I watch Monday Night Football. Kevin, it's, it's been a while since you've been able to make it to a high-level event, but you're obviously a former world champion and an experienced player. What do you think we're going to see at the world championship this weekend? First off, I think we're going to see a wide variety of things. Um, just getting ready for Premier Minnesota this coming weekend, you know, that we're running in, in Minneapolis, or that Chris is running in Minneapolis this weekend. Um, you know, I've just been kind of analyzing um, what I expect to see, what I think is going to do well. I elaborated some on what I thought. Uh, I think it's going to do well at Worlds. In my prediction article that, that was posted a few weeks ago, I stand by a bit of chunk of that. Um, of course, we've had another couple of weeks to kind of get a feel for what people are liking and not liking. Um, I think that this year we're going to have another year where you're going to see anywhere between, you know, I guess I don't know how many people are going to be at Worlds, but, you know, a couple of people are saying that they're they're looking at 30 to 50 people, and I'm thinking we're going to see probably anywhere between 15 and 25 different decks at Worlds this year. And considering how many affiliations there are, that's a pretty bold statement for me to make. But I think that's honestly what I what I expect to see. And playing ability is going to be a huge part of what actually has success. That there are probably. Uh, five or six decks that I think all have legitimate shots at bringing home the gold, and it's going to be up to the individual player himself to make, you know, one, good plays, good decisions in the game, two, uh, anticipate really well, three, be just an incredible deck builder, you know, have this one or two cards that he decided to put into his deck really just bring it home for him. You know, when I won Worlds, and I told the story many times that my day one deck was one thing, and then the day two deck had a couple of card changes that were made, you know, that were suggestions from, you know, Zach Magnuson and Dave Cook when I was asking them what they thought. And those two card changes were all the difference. I mean, they got me through one of the round, you know, like I think my, you know, quarterfinal round or whatever, you know, at Worlds, and, you know, so and it, one card may not seem like a lot, but one card can make the difference between you being world champion and you just being the guy that comes in fourth place, you know. So I think that we're going to see five or six different decks that are going to be fighting, you know, the five decks that I say, you know, in my prediction article, I think there's one or two decks that are out there still that um, have a legitimate shot. I think Bajoran Integrity could come out of nowhere at this point because my observation of analyzing how these these top decks, these ones that are just coming out now, interact with each other, I think you could see Bajoran Integrity, and I think you could see uh, Cadets. I think you could see those two decks just come out of nowhere in upset victories because people will have adjusted their dilemma piles to deal with guys like the new Jonathan Archer and Bajoran Integrity and Cadets could, could make a resurgence because, you know, just based upon that one card in your love pile that you pulled out that you then don't draw means that, you know, James T. Kirk blows up your one dilemma and then your Cadets walk through the rest. So, you know, that's, that's what I expect to see at Worlds this year. I know I really haven't committed to anything, you know, but, you know, I, that's kind of the point, though. It's a wide-open Worlds this year, and I really think that the best players are going to play the best, and that's what's going to win this year, not necessarily one deck being incredibly powerful like it has been the last two years, because I think design, Brad, and whoever else is on the design team, you know, have, have done a great job of putting tools out there for people to use to shut down decks like Mott and Wharf and Klingon Slaughter this year. So it's going to be really interesting to see. 
exactly what people decide to do. I think the rituals are going to be big because they just are. I mean, you don't, you know, they, they say there's no, there's no such thing as free in this world where I think those rituals are about as close as you could ever come to something being free, literally. So, yeah, um, they don't really, they add six cards to your deck, but given that they don't cost you any counters and you get a card draw when you play them, they're pretty much neutral. So, yeah, they literally are just, they are neutral. They, they basically just say, hey, if you happen to get me, I'm here now. I'm, I'm in your core now, and that's it. And Oh, and I replaced myself. And you have to borrow a magic phrase, a cantrip. And any magic player will tell you that a cantrip is incredibly powerful, especially in, in Star Trek when it costs zero, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a true a cantrip as you'll ever see. And, you know, that's just, it's an incredibly powerful mechanic to start with, and then when it plays for zero, it makes it even better, and then when it basically shuts down what, you know, the top decks just rely on without even realizing that they're relying on it, that's just incredibly powerful, and there's no reason not to play six copies, you know, of the, of the two rituals in a deck right now, there's absolutely no reason not to, and, you know, as a side benefit, hey, you know, if you're playing a, a relatively small deck, a small solver deck, you now have small solver decks that open up their dilemma pile a little bit. Uh, one of my decks that I'm thinking about playing this weekend at Premier Minnesota, you know, is a with without those six rituals in it, is a 34 card deck. I'm sorry, no, it's a no, it's a 38 card deck without those rituals in it, and it just goes up to what 44 with it. And by playing with it, I have the six copies of that plus I have three copies of this set of Paradise. I am now legitimately able to play the eight cost killer events, Whispers and Ziakovsky, in a solver pile that is not using events for any other reason than just to protect myself. It's just crazy. So do you think the the prevalence of the rituals and the fact that there really is no reason not to play them is gonna make zero hour come back? You know, I was talking with Chris Sonsby about this and him and I kinda of both agreed that you will see somebody put in one copy of Zero Hour in their dilemma pile. There are going to be people that will do it. I will say that they're they're both smart for doing it, and they're also, you know, potentially stupid for doing so. Yes, if you face the guy like me who's going to be doing that, you have a great dilemma that you can just play. You know, you can throw. You know, you can your your, your dilemma stack could be just pitching in followed by zero hour. You know. Because you get, you get two stops, and then that just might be the difference, you know, when they're six, seven events in their core, bump up the, uh, the attribute requirements by 21, you know, 18 or 21, and that could be all, you know, and that's going to be, that's a solid combo right there. But at the same time, you know, zero hour is a, uh, it's a pretty dead, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a planet only, so it's a dead in space. Um, it does consume, so it's not a true bounce. So if you play it, your opponent still, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And zero hour is also dead to a lot of other things, you know, things like, uh, I think, Spock and, and uh, some of those TOS people that look and, look and remove. So, you know, if you're relying on it, it's not necessarily a good idea. But I think it's a great tech, it's a great tech move, I think, to put one copy in a dilemma pile for Wolves this year. So, let's talk about some of the cards that came out in peak performance. There's been a lot of brouhaha about both the new Taroknor deck and the new Starfleet deck. I I expect to see a lot of both of those uh, at Worlds and at Premier Series Minnesota. Put those two decks head-to-head -head with equal players. Where do you give the advantage? Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, which were the two decks, Taroknor and which other one? Taroknor versus Damaged Starfleet. Oh, damage Starfleet. Okay. All right. All things being equal, and let's even assume for a moment that both players have, like, just the optimum deck list, okay? Um, so all things being equal, we're playing actual individual talent, and we're playing just a little bit of, you know, luck of the draw, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, Knorr has the slight edge in my mind. But, and this is a huge but, I don't know exactly what kind of a dilemma pile each of those two decks are playing. I honestly think that because 
the decks that are out there is so wide open. I said this at the beginning, the decks that are out there, there are so many different decks you could play right now that if you play them well and you get good matchups and you yourself are a good player, that you could win with it. I honestly think that I really what it's going to come down to, besides player talent, is your Dilemma Pile. And with these two decks, Damage Starfleet and Terok Nor, it's going to come down to what is their Dilemma Pile and what are the Dilemma Piles that they are facing. Because Terok Nor dies to Legacy. Damage Starfleet dies to a, it dies to a uh, Dilemma Pile you know, that is relatively heavy in choosing Dilemmas and Skill Dilemmas that are then backed up with hefty walls, you know, and, you know, while Starfleet, Damage Starfleet does an incredible job of saying, hey, you can't just rely on your Chul of the Chandra anymore, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing for everybody else. Because, like I said, I think I think cadets could make a resurgence just because of Damaged Archer being out there. Damaged Archer convinces people to pull Chul of the Chandra, Minor Revolt, Moral Choice, you know, going down from two copies in their dilemma pile to just one. And that could be all the difference for a cadet deck to basically just show up and, and push its way through dilemmas, you know. And so all things being equal, I think Terraknor has a slight edge because it has a few um, it has a few things that are open to it, like the ability to pair up with Dominion and use the Dominion Defiant. Um, it, or, or, it, or, you know, use the... Uh, use Commandeer Prototype, I suppose, but they have the, it has the ability to, to pair up with Dominion and get some tools there. Um, it also has uh, better attribute personnel for the same price. Um, you know, the missions you're going after requiring an attribute level, while Tarek Nor says, I've got dudes with eight, and Starfleet says, I'm lucky if I have a dude with seven, you know, so... Um, Not to mention... One of the weaknesses of the damaged Starfleet folks is they're all one integrity less than their other versions. So, yes, that is definitely true. And while I personally think that integrity is the way to go with Starfleet, damaged Starfleet, uh, you open up greatest space mission in the game. Trademark Matthew Freed. Um, you know, you open up investigate alien probe. You know, and you can then use one of the Delphic Expanse missions that requires integrity, and interestingly enough, the other mission, you know, you can do it with strength, you know, so, you know, which is just kind of incidental, which, interestingly enough, Starfleet is like fives and sixes across the board for strength, and, you know, so you don't really, you don't really hurt anything by focusing on the integrity versus the cunning, you know, integrity versus the cunning or whatever. Um, so... No, I just I think Terraknor has a slight advantage. The only thing that keeps the only thing in my mind that keeps Starfleet close with them is lustful distraction and its ability to counteract um, counteract ruling council as effectively as it does. Now that being said, you know Terraknor can use feasts on the dying. Terraknor can you know push its way through. Terraknor only need, only needs to get to that first mission if it chooses to use Dominion Defiance. So. You know, Lustful Distraction keeps them close, but Starfleet does three missions. Terraknor can do two if they if they get it moving right. So I, I give the edge to Terraknor over Starfleet. But that being said, Starfleet has better general matchups um, against some of the other more powerful decks out there. So head-to-head Terraknor against the field, I give the edge to Starfleet. All right. Now, you mentioned Legacy. This is probably one of the dilemmas that has been more most talked about since Tragic Turn was new. Is obviously what the point of, of Legacy is to get people to stop playing all these gimmicky auto stop dilemmas and start running more skill dilemmas. Is Legacy as good as everybody says it is, or is it simply a matter of that most people haven't caught up to it yet and switched their dilemma styles? That's a very good question, Charlie. Um, it came out. I'll, I'll, I will answer this question by basically just explaining how I have handled Legacy. Um, Legacy comes out. I instantly decide I need to make a Legacy pile because I'm either going to play it or I need to know what it does so I know how to beat it. So I do my best and I, I put what I think is a really great Legacy to little pile together and I pair it with a deck 
that you know uses it. I think to you know its potentially its maximum efficiency. Um, I then played it against existing decks and dilemma piles that I already had because this was the very first. Very it actually ended up it actually ended up being the very first peak performance deck I built and not start not damage start me. Um, it wiped the floor. I, I couldn't. It was it was absolutely amazing. It basically against my standard attrition dilemma piles that I had built before that were running the two copies of Chula, the two copies of Moral, the two copies of Minor Revolt, the two copies of um, Skeleton Crew, the two, you know, the one copy of Timescape, the, you know, things like that. And that deck was just like, I lose. The other deck said, I lose. I, have, I, I cannot draw dilemmas. I cannot look at dilemmas. And, you know, so then the very first step was, well, okay, that deck needs to respond with three copies of the Tree Ritual then so we can shuffle up the dilemma pile better. That didn't help. The odds were still not good enough. Legacy still just said, you don't solve a mission. Sorry. You know, I can I can walk my way to victory. You know, Legacy is essentially, you know, the, is, is the bump in the road that keeps tripping up the hair so the tortoise can win it. It really is. And, you know, so then the next thought was, well, okay, well, now I know this. So now what do I do if I want to play a deck that is not necessarily, like, able to remove Legacy from the Dilemma Pile or, or, or whatever, or Kirk it? Um, so then I built a Dilemma Pile that added in a bunch of skill dilemmas. It put in Pitching In, it put in Helping Hand, it put in Honorable Pursuit, it put in, you know, and uh, it, it put two copies of Temptation and... Uh, it even put in one copy of Dangerous Climb, another good skill dilemma that has gotten forgotten about over the years. Um, and then played those two decks against each other. And in the very first game where that happened, the Legacy deck got absolutely spojanked. Because it, if it tried to rely on Legacy, it gave up the mission if it failed. So... Legacy is as good as people says it is. However, it is high risk, high reward. It's uh, it's 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 like it's like playing a super blitz heavy defense in football. If you you know it's it's high risk, it's high reward. If you screw it up, you give up the big play. If it works, you make big plays. Um, so I expect to see Legacy at Worlds. I expect to see Legacy at Premier Minnesota. I might even be playing Legacy at Premier Minnesota. Um, but will it take over Worlds? No, because the smart players will make the adjustment, and the smart play, you know, and and the people who are maybe not, you know, you know, the people who may who who are risk takers who maybe take the risk with Legacy and just play it without, you know, on the very first mission attempt of a game, and all of a sudden it fizzles because. The opponent flips over a pitching in an honorable pursuit and a helping hand. You know that's that's huge. I mean, you can't give up a first attempt mission and expect to win a game. So, well, you know, keeping in mind that unless my math is mistaken, a legacy versus legacy game is pretty much nobody's dilemma piles are going to do anything. Well, that's it's a wash. That's true. <laughs> that's true, and it's false at the same time. That is true, and it's false at the same time because. What I actually did in a play test was I just took the deck that I paired with my Legacy Pile and played it against the Legacy Dilemma Pile and then said, okay, can this deck compete against the remainder of the Legacy Dilemma Pile? Let's assume, and I was like, let's assume for a moment that, you know, I sit down against my opponent and I see the exact same headquarters and the exact same missions. I, you know, obviously that's a situation where you're like, I'm playing the exact same deck. You know, my opponent's playing the exact same deck I am. So guess what? I'm going to assume that his dilemma pile is exactly the same and my legacies are dead. So this is going to be, you know, this is, this is going to be a foot race. So I played it against, you know, against it and the rest of a legacy dilemma pile has the potential to hold up. And I'm not going to exactly say what that is and how it does it because that's, you know, that's my that's my current tech right now, and that's my that's my you know my trade secret right now. Fair enough. Um, but you know, the rest of a the rest of a legacy dilemma pile can hold up if the person playing it plays smart, you know, and and has a little bit of a little bit of foresight, a little bit of anticipation ability to him. 
Um, and then, of course, again, like I said, it's going to come down to exactly, yeah, it's going to come down to which, you know, because the Legacy Lava Pile can be matched up with any number of different decks out there. I mean, you could play DS9, you could play Romulans, you could play, you could play Terraknor, you could, I mean, you could play Star, I mean, you could, you can match a Legacy Dilemma Pile with just about any deck out there, you know, with varying levels of success, of course, but, you know, you could match it up with anything, and so the remainder of your of your deck and its ability to push through the remainder of a Legacy Dilemma Pile, you know, that'll be, that would be the difference. So, yeah, sure, it is a wash, but it's not a complete wash. You're not literally on equal footing with your opponents. You're still not. Right. You know, you, you still have at least 20... You know, at least twenty-two other dilemmas in a dilemma pile that still have, that are now in play. So, it essentially it almost reminds me of very early second edition because if if it obviously there are variations on a legacy pile, but if you have seventeen skill dilemmas and three copies of legacy, now you're basically running an attrition pile. There might be a, a couple kills and, and walls in there, but it's, it reminds me of you know premier energized call to arms type dilemma piles when you have a legacy versus legacy matchup. You know, I think that's a very, I think that's a very accurate description. Um, interestingly enough, I was not around second edition during that, those early, the early year or two. Um, you know, I had things going on in my personal life and I, I didn't make the transition from first edition to second edition right away. Um, you know, so I never, I was actually not there when, when that period in Trek history was going on, but, you know, from what I understand, having looked at the history, that that's probably an incredibly accurate statement by you, that, you know, a legacy versus legacy game is going to be just like playing, yeah, like, you know, early days of second edition. You know, you're, it's it's going to be who, you know, who who moves a little bit faster, who has the has a better cheater here and there for the win, you know, so. Well, I'm actually hoping that legacy being out there and the interrupt hate being out there is going to bring back some of those very early day cheaters. Um, I can't think of the name of it. Shady resources, protection of the Tal Shiar, comfort women. Those cards can be good again when your dilemmas are, are skill dilemmas. And then having those out there and getting those countered by lustful distraction and diversionary tactics means that your occasional bridge officers test or central command might go through to give you that key, you know, that key play to let you win. So I'm, I'm really hoping that this card is going to do what design meant it to do and change decks, change the way the game is played again. It totally will. I will say that it totally, it completely will change decks. It will change dilemma piles at the very least. Um, I completely disagree with anybody who says that it's not that it doesn't do what it's intended to do. It uh, it absolutely does what it is intended to do. It definitely makes you play with more skill dilemmas. It's not making the player playing it with you know that's a given that he's playing with more skill dilemmas. You know that's a given. But the intention of Legacy, from what I can tell, is to make the opponent play with more skill dilemmas or risk being locked out of a game. And that's exactly what it has done. Because, like I said, I, I told you my story, and that's exactly what happened, and that's exactly what Legacy is intended to do, and it did it. And But here's the thing, though, Charlie, I will disagree with you that it's going to make things like shitty resources, protection of the Chelsea and so forth, that, you know, it'll make them playable. It just simply won't, because you still have to, you still have to obey the realities of mathematics and probability. That if you put in shady resources, if you put protection of the Tal Shiar in, it, it, your deck is either larger, and if it's not larger, you're having to pull something else out in its favor. So, you know, you could theoretically run a more interrupt-heavy deck to try to push some of that through, because lustful distraction will only hit three times. But if you're doing that, you know, you're slowing your deck down. No matter, no matter if it's just a, a heavier, you know, interrupt deck, or if your deck is larger, you've slowed it down one way or the other, that's just how it is. Because that one counter spent to draw that card is maybe one counter spent not playing a personnel, or it's, at very least, it's one card between you and the next personnel you play, or you and the ship that you need to draw to play. So, I don't think that, I don't think that those interrupts are going to be more playable now 
just because lustful distraction is out there, just because legacy, you know, because legacy is out there. Um, I, I actually think that they've become less playable, not significantly less playable, but they are now less playable because, you know, I try to, you know, I, I'm working on a deck right now that, you know, normally a TOS deck would just say, hey, if I'm playing with all these TOS officers, I can just throw my three Drivens in, you know, and I already have, you know, something else in, you know. I, I wouldn't say that those Drivens are any more playable now. They're just simply not because, you know, the, the power of Lustful Distraction is timing, you know, and, you know, you don't just play Lustful Distraction at the first interrupt that it can be played against. You know, That's it's true. always cost-benefit. It's always situational. It's always in-game decision-making, and the best players know that. You know, the people who are sitting at the top tables every week and every major tournament, they are the people that know that. So, you know, that's my advice to all you, you know, all the, all the people out there who are either new to the game or, you know, more casual and such and so forth, that, hey, you know, it's about timing, and, you know, just remember that. Don't don't play your counterspell at the first, at the first, uh, the first opportunity. So I don't think that I don't think that lustful distraction and legacy make um, those other interrupts any better. Okay, so let's talk about some possible has-beens. Tragic Turn has had a lot of hate directed at it, especially in peak performance. Is Tragic Turn still going to be a dominant dilemma pile in the 2010 World Championship and beyond, or are its days best days behind it uh, another good another good question Charlie uh, I would say that its best days are behind it uh, if you okay I will first I will first you know, um, classify my response with a uh, with a big caveat here um, my observation of history Trek history, meta history, has been that Tragic Turn has had varying levels of success over the years. It's it just had its heyday, without question. I think it's had its heyday um, here recently. Um, but gosh, you know, just you know, it, there's always been tools out there to beat Tragic Turn. Okay, that's that's a reality. Okay, Tragic Turn had its heyday recently because interestingly enough solvers got to be really good okay um mod and wharf uh delta quadrant klingons with bot cool challenge uh starfleet you know starfleet low 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 attribute missions you know like speed solvers got to be like really good there caleb's world championship deck from the year before me i mean that deck was just ridiculously fast you know, and because of that, people pulled all these tools out of their deck or were so reluctant to play with those tools in their deck because if they face down a super, super speed solver, then they had those dead draws and those, those that one counter here, one counter there, that was the difference in the game, you know, happening to them. And so they pulled all these tools out of their deck, you know, to deal with that. Um, so the tools have always been there to beat Tragic Turn, but Tragic Turn got to be so good now, I think, because to deal with that, people just were so reluctant to use the tools at their disposal to, to beat it. And then on top of it, you know, when Tragic Turn is really clicking, it is hard to play against and play around. And it takes a really good player to actually get around it. And even a good player still need a little bit of luck. Um, but you know, what's going to make it so that Tragic Turn has had its best days, and they are now in the past, is the fact that the cards that are coming out to beat it are so incredibly user-friendly. Uh, Elvira Tree Ritual, this side of Paradise, they cost zero. They hit the table. They do what they say they do, you know, and that's it, you know. Um, there's no, there's really no downside to playing them. Um Whereas in the past, the tools that were at your disposal were escape, where it was an interrupt, you had to pitch a random card from hand, you know, and it only stopped those people, you know, instead. It, it stopped those people, and it was interrupt speed, and interrupts were cancelable, 
you couldn't rely on it, and Tragic Turn was always prepared for interrupt, you know, was always prepared for escape and things like that, so I think the best days of Tragic Turn are behind it, and that's mainly because Starfleet, the new damage Starfleet, is just so incredibly good against it that you just can't risk playing it, I don't think, any, at, this, at least this year, you can't risk playing it. Because um, there's going to be people that play the new damage Starfleet, and there's going to be people that will try out this out of Paradise, and there will be people that, you know, use Lustful Distraction, at the very least in any Starfleet build, to cancel your Uninvited that goes and gets you your Entanglement that goes and makes your Tragic Turn deck better. So, I think, I think Tragic Turn's best days are behind it. Not to say that there might not be a resurgence in the future, but I think for right now, Tragic Turn is definitely less powerful, less potent, and less reliable. So I don't expect to see, I do not expect to see Tragic Turn uh, in, a, in a championship game this year. Okay, well, here's sort of a related question. Uh, the, the, the Ben slash Neil Klingon deck that has been arguably one of the most dominant decks over the past 18 months, is, is it still viable in this environment, or are its days numbered? It is not viable, in my opinion. Not viable. Uh, lustful distraction. Like I said, if you're worried about it, play Damage Starfleet, okay? And Worlds format this year is exactly the same format that it has been for the last several years, which basically means if I'm... European player A, and, you know, I make top 16, and my first-round opponent is Neil Timmons, I'm not, <laughs> like, I'm not going to be stupid. I, I am not going to give him the chance to play that deck and, and beat me with it, you know. And I am going to play damage Starfleet, and I will take my chances that my damage Starfleet is better than whatever it is that he brings. Because if he brings... If he brings Klingons, then I can beat it. Because, you know, Malcolm Reed says, foo on you to Crude. And Archer says, foo on you to any of your randomly selected, you know, killers. And, you know, that's really important because if, you know, that, I mean, yeah, damaged Archer kills the three linchpins of, of the current tragic turn deck. First off, it says, uh, your two-cost clown guillotine does not kill any of my people. Second off, if you consume all-consuming evil on a consumed dilemma that does not have a skill, your all-consuming evil misses too, because you're busy facing a non-skill dilemma when the all-consuming evil is consumed. So your all-consuming evil is, is dead. Um, and tragic turn itself, you know, it, it, you just consume two for the tragic turn. So you know, if you cannot kill efficiently, you cannot stop Damage Starfleet. Damage Starfleet says, I'm not going to allow you to kill me efficiently because either Archer's excluding, uh, Phlox is saving, this side of Paradise might be in the deck too, and it's helping save Phlox uh, on the off chance. Um, you've also got Sean Hawkins. You know, Sean Hawkins is like, your, <laughs> your secret identity is now dead. Because I'm going to go get Sean Hawkins, and I'm going to protect the guy that you tried to remove. Or Sean Hawkins is already out there, and I'm going to protect the guy that you tried to remove. So, and then pulling double duty, Sean Hawkins says, when you try to kill somebody, I'm going to protect that guy. You know? So, there's, God, the damage Starfleet has way too many weapons for Tragic Turn to deal with. So, if I'm playing somebody who I feel very confidently in round one of Worlds, you know, of Worlds Day 2 is playing, is going to be playing that crap, then fine. I'm going to play Damage Starfleet and I'll take my chances. Because if you lose round one, what was the point? You know, you got to get through round one. And if you know your opponent's proclivities, then you got to be playing to beat his proclivities. You know, your best defense is to take away what he does best and then go from there. So, uh, okay, day two, probably not a viable choice. Good enough to no. get you five games on day one? Good enough to get you, well, you know, yes and no. Yes, if you get the right matchups. No, if you have bad luck. You know, but that's, that's, that's the game. That's life anyway. So, I, would, I guess at the end of the day, yeah, I suppose. 
um, I suppose is definitely good enough to get you the five wins on day one. But you know, I, I oh god, I wouldn't I wouldn't take tragic turn on day two this year. I'm sorry because you know just my observation of the European meta is that Starfleet damaged Starfleet or at the very least the uh, future Enterprise Starfleet with just a couple, you know, in the, in the future Enterprise Starfleet in the Delphic Expanse is also going to be just too good, you know, for Tragic Turn to deal with, and there's going to be at least, I think, at least one Czech player is going to play damage Starfleet, is going to play Starfleet, because it's fast, it's quick, it's efficient, and it has those tools to beat, to beat that. And then, of course, you've also got to deal with you got to deal with the, the reality that there might be other interaction decks that are going to show up that may not use Tragic Turn, but will be able to outmaneuver you. And I said this in my prediction article, that uh, Neil's Klingon deck does not want to face assimilation, because that's just that's such a bad matchup for it, that it, you know, it could end up losing at times in a game like that relatively easily, if not lose outright. Um, well, so... th- that actually is an excellent segue to my next question. Um, Borg has long been associated with Europe. Um, traditionally, the, the Johannes Klauhauser style of big deck, download everything I need, smash through all my missions. But assimilation is also very good. Are Borg going to be big in, in the World Championships this year? Yes. And that's all that needs to be said. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> Honestly, everything, every, my opinions on it are already in my prediction article. Yes, Borg is going to be big at Worlds this year. They are going to be, because that's the thing, though. I said there's, there's anywhere between 15 and 20 decks that could be played this year, and there's, what, 14 affiliations? Borg will show up twice, at the very least, in my opinion. As the, I think the every fast solver in the assimilator. state Ferengi will show up, you know, at Worlds this year, and Borg's going to show up twice, so... So, so tell me, we, we've talked about a lot of affiliations, Bajorans, Klingons. Uh, who haven't we named who could be a dark horse and end up at the top table this year? Well, I mentioned cadets. I think they could. I think they could see a resurgence this year. Um, at the very least, on day one, I think cadets could show up and play. Uh, ever since cadets came onto the scene, you know many years ago, they've always been a great, you know, get your way to the top and then go from there, you know, or the, you know, option. Um, They're a good deck to play when you're playing Star Trek for 10 hours and you don't want to walk out of the room with your brains (laughs) leaking out of your ears. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, and and to all you people out there who, you know, fancy yourselves Iron Men of Trek, you know, I, I applaud you, but at the same time, at the same time, though, I've witnessed firsthand how much of an effect fatigue can can either, you know, can, can snatch your world championship away from you because Johan's made three errors in our in our championship match, and they were all game losers. You know, they were all, they were all like, I, I lose this game because of it. The first one outright lost him the game because it violated the rules, and he had to forfeit. Then the second one cost him huge momentum in our third game, and then the last one was the actual game loser. So, and he was obviously jet lagged, fatigued, tired. You know, he'd played he'd played longer than I had because my deck won so efficiently that I actually sat around for two and a half hours from my semifinal match against James to my championship match against Johans. I waited two and a half hours. Yeah, and that was huge. I was fresh, ready to go. It's like I started the day, you know. And Johans had just gotten out of a, a an absolute just face beater of a game against against uh, you know Jared Hoffman in a mirror match, and and so yeah, it, it's it's huge, you know. That sort of a that sort of a dynamic, you know, whether you're fresh mentally or you're worn down, that's huge. And, and cadets do a great job of keeping you fresh over the course of a day. So. You know, yeah, sure. I, I think they're a viable option just for that. Same reason why I was saying before that I think Majoran Integrity could show up is because I think they, those two decks, do well. What the new, these new decks are kind of giving up to deal with things like Tragic Turn and stuff. So, I don't know. you know, if, if I had to pick one, I would go Far Seeing Eyes. 
would be my... You think? I would not be shocked to see a Far-Seeing Eyes deck in the final. Or at least making it to the, to the final four. There are so many decks right now. Peak Performance is still less than a month old. Which means it hasn't really had time to mature in people's minds yet. You know, there's sure. there's a lot of decks out there that have had multiple revisions, I'm sure. But yep. it hasn't had the same amount of time to set in everybody's brain as Allegiance did. Um, there's enough stuff out there that people are leaning on that a, a, a skilled player, you know, Justin Beal or uh, Vlad or, or Neil even, any skilled player who's going could play Farseeing Eyes and just take apart what you're trying to do before you get to do it. And it can work against so many different things that you're sitting across. It would not surprise me at all to see um, somebody be playing it on day two and make it far because it's going to sneak, it's going to sneak in past people. Okay. I will agree with you like 95%. I will agree with you that it's, I, I will agree with you that it could sneak in there. You don't need full wins to start with. And one weakness that far-seeing eyes has is, is if you don't know what you're playing, you sit out against your opponent, you don't know what they're playing, you don't know what they're doing, you may not necessarily make that early game decision that, that actually you know wins you the game. You might, you might make what you think is a great decision on turn three or four, and it actually ends up losing you the game. And that's the thing about decks like far-seeing eyes is, is that they require you to make a stream of good decisions in order for them to win. And an advantage, then, that you have in a day two format is that after that first game, you know what they're doing. So game two and game three, you know exactly the play that you should be making early on in the game. And so, yeah, I think Farsing Eyes is a good option, and it does have a legitimate shot. And Farsing Eyes has a great matchup against the Legacy deck, because it's going to basically, it's going to it's, it's be able to pull out whatever the Legacy deck is using to support the Legacy deck, the Legacy Dilemma pile. And then second off, it has a great matchup against Starfleet in the sense that it can farsing eyes out Jonathan Archer if it gets lucky. You know, let's assume for a moment that, uh, you know, farsing eyes has a good opening hand. And it, it's like I my very first turn, I drop Heron, I drop this two-cost other dude, I drop Prejudice in Politics, you know, and then, you know, I end my turn, and the other per opponent goes turn... Oh, then you, you use prejudice in politics, and you get lucky, and you hit, and you score five points. Turn two, you play a third Romulan, you play far-seeing eyes, and you do whatever else. Start of turn three, if your opponent has not drawn his Jonathan Archer yet, goodbye, Jonathan Archer. And the next thing you know, you're right back into a situation where Chul the Chandra, Minor Revolt, all those dilemmas are now viable again. There you go. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm suspicious that Starfleet players will rely on Lustful Distraction, I don't necessarily think on day two, because I think relying on lustful distraction is more of a, I don't mean this offensively, but it's more of a amateur mistake. Because you rely on lustful distraction, and Dukat can just destroy your day. Greasy Dukat can destroy your deck before you even get started. But a Starfleet deck that isn't properly tuned can lose its, its interrupt prevention before it even gets the chance to use it, and then that gives your Romulan deck the opportunity to use your interrupts unfettered. So, Yes, because Discovered plus Deep Hatred is a... That's that's going to be in a, in a Farseeing Eyes deck. It just is, because it's so good. You know, because, you know, Discovered basically allows you to pull out one event that's going to hose you, and then pull out one interrupt that's going to hose you, and then play the Deep Hatred, and then all the remaining copies of that interrupt are all gone, too. You know, that's two cards to kill four. So, you know, and all four of those were probably huge, you know, yeah. defense mechanisms in the other deck. So, all right. So, peak performance um, in the pantheon of Star Trek Second Edition expansions, where would you put it in terms of quality and shake up potential and excitement? And where would okay. you rank it? Okay. Uh,. I don't really, there are too many sets now for me to give a, like a top five or anything, but, you know, I would say that, uh, for me personally, um, it's going to be really hard to ever get to the top of the line, which in my opinion is necessary evil on many levels, design, flavor, impact on the game, uh, usability, things like that, right? Oh, yeah. Um, 
part i mean necessary evil is just so up there because it gave it, there are so many like new strategies that came out in necessary evil that we're still talking about far seeing eyes you know things like that it, we are how many years past necessary evil being released and there are still the power cards that necessary evil are still power cards now yeah and you know so it's it's, it's kind of hard to argue with necessary evil still being at the top in my opinion i will say this I will say I think that peak performance is the best virtual expansion so far. I say that with a strong sense of confidence in that opinion uh, that it's better than Allegiance, better than the the recent uh, uh, sealed format or a virtual format, virtual sealed format, you know, boutique that came out. Um, you know, it's just I, I, it's just the best virtual expansion in my opinion so far. As far as how it matches up with all the printed expansions over the years, I would say it's it's kind of hard to compare those because it's like you're dealing with 45 cards or 54 cards against how many other ones, you know? So, but it's definitely better than Energize. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it has that going for it, I suppose. <laughs> I, I would put it in the top three. I, I really haven't sat down to do any sort of number crunching, but I don't remember, I don't know, in, in terms of buzz, it's in the top three. The only ones I can think of that had more buzz were Necessary Evil and Raise the Stakes. And Raise the Stakes really only got buzz because we we pulled a, a fast one on the, the community and doubled the size of it on them. So there was literally half of the expansion that they had no idea even existed to talk about post-release. But oh, it, it, yeah, I, I still remember having to write articles for that. <laughs> or we just lied about every to everybody, yeah. Uh, that was fun. Um, other, if you take that out of the equation, I think the buzz for peak performance has just has been extremely gratifying. And I think it's it's one of the top three or, or four expansions in the history of the game in terms of shaking things up and, and changing the overall game state, changing the global meta. And I'm excited well, to see it. Yeah. Yeah, how it, how I, would, it? I would put this at a, a two right behind Necessary Evil for how it just basically has taken the game and like put it into a you know put it into a dice cup and shook it up and rolled it back out again and said you'll know, make of it what you will you know so it has yeah I will agree with you there it is definitely it's it's easily number two in my mind for you know expansion that has changed the global meta more than any other one. All right, so. You got Premier Series Minnesota this weekend, which it's it looks like is an exciting event. I wish I could go myself. I mean, if you can't go to Worlds, which obviously everybody should try to go to Worlds if they can. If you can't go to Worlds, this looks like a good number two choice. Who do you think will be will win the day, and what will they be playing? <laughs> I will exclude myself because that would just seem oddly self-serving. Um... Uh, I would like to think that I'm going to be up there competing. That's all I really ever strive for. And when you have a world championship title under your belt, you know Matt Freed and I joke about this all the time. That once you have the once you have the world title under your belt, every everything else just kind of seems like it's it's just for fun now. Um, I'm still a competitor. I will still show up. I will still do my best. Uh, and I will do that partially because we are doing fantasy track. You know, think fantasy football. We're going to be doing it for track. I have some. I've come up with new rules. It's going to mirror an actual fantasy football league as much as I can possibly make it do so. Um, it's going to be. That's going to be exciting. That's going to be reason to go to the Premier Minnesota in and all, in and of itself, in my opinion, uh, to play fantasy fantasy track. To sit there, look across the room, and be like, hmm, "Who do I want as my quarterback? Mike Harrington, Matt Free, Kevin Yeager. Who do I want as my quarterback?" And that's going to be fun. Um, but as far as the actual tournament itself goes, gosh, I just, I, you know. Is it wide open? I, it's, it's, it's wide open amongst the top people, and I'm not going to say who I think the top people are just because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or anything like that um, or insult anybody or, or, or say that, you know, the hand, you know, just, you know, slap everyone else across the face and say you have no chance because everyone's got a chance. And if there's one thing that's true about the Minnesota meta is, is that we are the toughest meta in the world because we have so many good players who all show up and play. And, you know, depending on who you get and when you get them will determine whether or not you win or don't. Uh, that's, that's always been the case in our meta that, you know, 
and and so I I don't really know who's going to win. I really don't. I think it's wide open between the between about six or eight people, honestly, for who I think is going to win. And then we've already discussed what what's going to win, and I've already said that's so that's wide open in my opinion too. Um, but if you're you know gun to my head, make me pick somebody, make me pick a deck. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to say Mike Harrington with the TOS solver. Sounds like a good pick to me. Kevin, thanks for taking some time to talk to us and uh, share your thoughts. Oh, sure. Not a problem. Uh, it was good talking with you. Good to, good to uh, you know, share my, share my thoughts and opinions. I wish everyone who's going to Worlds good luck. Have fun. Um, you know, remember to uh, drink water, put on your deodorant, and, uh, you know, eat a granola bar between rounds because it may be... It may not seem like a lot, but it may make all the difference. You never know. So just uh, have fun, play smart, stay focused, and uh, at the end of the day, remember it's about the memories. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I'll rise above the ramp, cause in the air.